Uh, last weekend, Pentecost weekend, uh, was a wonderful weekend of celebration together. And we had many among our church family here who stepped forward in faith and were baptized. Nearly 60 baptisms on a long weekend. That, that is by far the most we've ever had. And let me just say again, as I did last weekend to those who were baptized, I mean, your obedience in stepping forward in faith was just such an inspiration to us. And I can think I can say that very safely on all our behalf. It was such an encouragement to see you take that step together. And, and really what you did leads us back so fittingly into the teaching series we're currently walking through. Because both for those who were baptized and truly for each one of us, as we seek to follow Jesus, we need to be asking, okay, so how do I walk in, how do I mature in this way of Jesus, this kingdom of God life? And really one of the responses that we have in scripture to those questions is found in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter six, if you wanna turn there with me, if you have your Bible or Bible app with you, let's look at this together. And I want us to hear again the language that scripture uses to talk about us following Jesus in this world. And this is a description we have in Ephesians six. And as we hear it, remember, this is the word of God. And in, in beginning at verse 10, it says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Amen? You know, you might guess, there are just so many riches we could pull from these verses that I just read. In fact, I don't know if you name, know the name of William Gurnell. In 1655, he was a Puritan minister. He published a book that was focused on Paul's words here in Ephesians 6. And the book was called The Christian in Complete Armor. He also had a subtitle to the book that you really need to take a breath before you say. This is a subtitle. The saints war against the devil wherein a discovery is made of that grand enemy of God and his people in his policies, power, seed of his empire, wickedness, and chief design he hath against the saints. A magazine opened from whence the Christian is furnished with spiritual arms for the battle, helped on with his armor, and taught the use of his weapon together with the happy issue of the whole war. That's just the subtitle. 
You know, it's interesting, in his dedication to the book, Gurnell refers to himself as just a poor and unworthy minister, and he dedicates the book to his congregation, his parishioners, and he says this book is just a mite, a little present. And yet that book, it's three volumes, it's 261 chapters, 1,472 pages long. Even though it is only focused on these 11 verses that we just read here. And I mention that for one, to point out again that there's so much we could glean from these verses in Ephesians. Our study is only a mere eight weekends long. So it's just really a, a little present to you on this topic. But also I mentioned Grinnell's book because it reminds us, friends, of how vital this passage has been seen to be in giving guidance on our walk with Jesus. I mean, we have to understand as followers of Jesus our armor for the battle because it's a battle every one of us walks in whether we realize it or not. And so let's really begin this week by asking again, Okay, why is Paul so big on the military imagery in this passage? And I want to consider that question together be before we even look at the first piece of armor we're going to look at today. Because there's an important foundation that we need to draw from asking that question. In fact, you may remember two weeks ago, we, we noted that Paul uses this military imagery in Ephesians 6 because he says we actually are in a spiritual battle when we walk and turn to following Jesus. There are actual spiritual opponents who oppose you in your journey of seeking to follow Jesus. But I also want us to note this, that Paul also uses this military imagery here, not because he glories in warfare, but because he's trying to communicate just an essential element, a foundation for our walk with God. I mean, Paul uses this military metaphor that you're a soldier who needs armor because it is the best way for Paul to communicate the reality. That one of the essentials for our relationship with God is obedience. Obedience. I mean, when you're in the military, when you're on the battlefield, Unlike just being an employee where you can kind of quit your job if you want. But when you're in the military on the battlefield, your relationship to your commanding officer is really very different than your relationship to a superior anywhere else. Pretty much anywhere else, you have the right to quit. I mean, in any other situation, like for example at your job, at work, I mean, you're really kind of agreeing to do what your superior says. Because ultimately, if you don't want to, you can just say, I'm out of here. But understand, here, here you're obeying your superior. Unlike Rob with me. <laughs> Just want to note that. Because under your commanding officer in the military, under battle conditions, you don't have the right to quit. I mean, you can't say, forget it. I've had enough of this. I, I want to get out of here. And he asked the question, why not? What, why? Can't you say that? Why is that, in many situations, actually treasonous? And for one, it's because there's so much at stake. I mean, for you to disobey on the battlefield means you could put everybody around you's life in danger. 
Therefore, you must obey battlefield orders. And friends, that's real obedience. It's not just like an employee agreement. So right at the start, I want us to catch this. What Paul is trying to get across in Ephesians 6 is to make you and me look and ask ourselves the question, do I really obey God? Have I crossed over the line so now I say to God, command me. You're the officer, I'm the soldier. I mean, Paul uses this military imagery because to put on the armor of God means right at the very start that you enlist, you submit, you obey. And I want to bring this up because I'm pretty certain that for many of us here, there are situations in your life right now where you're saying, oh, I obey God, except here, uh, except in this area of my life. So I just want us to consider for a moment that except here response, okay? Because really, that response means that your relationship to God ultimately is not one of having enlisted. It's not really one of obedience. I mean, it means that those who say, and perhaps like some of us here, oh, I believe what the Bible says. I, I believe it's authority. Absolutely, I do. But then they aren't willing to respond fully to God. In that reality, they're really revealing who's really on the throne of their life. In that, you're revealing who really is the master of your life. You are revealing who's the commanding officer for your life. So our initial question of this passage is, are you willingly a person under orders? Are you willing to put on the armor of God to say, I submit to him? Or do you just have like a, I'll kind of pick and choose what guidance of yours that I obey, relationship with God. It's really the very first question. William Grinnell, again, that Puritan minister, in the book he wrote, he notes this. It requires more prowess and greatness of spirit to obey God faithfully than to command an army of men. He's saying it takes more courage, it takes more endurance to simply put on the armor of God, to obey God, to be a consistent follower of Jesus than it does to command a battalion of troops. And if you wonder, is that an exaggeration? Is that just like a pastor's hyperbole, which we can do at times? And I don't think it is so. I mean, consider this. I think one of the last things in the world that we contemporary North Americans want to hear, or maybe can even understand, is to be told, you have to submit your will to someone else's. But that's fundamentally what it means to put on the armor of God. I mean, we want God to come into our lives to enrich us. We want God to come in and empower us. We want those things for sure. But the idea of completely submitting my will to a higher will is something we often don't want to hear. I mean, to put on the full armor of God foundationally 
means you get an order, you obey the order. So the reason this military metaphor is here, it's not because Paul is kind of bloodthirsty or because he's reveling in military imagery. No. He's just trying to make it clear. You'll be out there in life without any armor on unless you're willing to take on an obedient relationship to the Father. Do you have that? I mean, have you settled that in your life? Have you said, unconditional obedience, Father. I'm going to obey you no matter what. In any area of my life, I, I, I know I will fail at times, I, I will fall, but I, I'm, my desire in this is, by your Spirit's power, I wanna stop being selective in my obedience. I, I just encourage you to consider and think about that, friends. Because some of you are not fully submitting to God. And therefore, just understand this, some of you are out there in the world then with any, out any armor on, and you're vulnerable, spiritually speaking. You are tremendously vulnerable. And again, just want to be clear on this. If you are trying to fight the spiritual forces of darkness with anything other than the armor of God, understand you'll be defeated in it. I mean, we considered this in our spiritual warfare series we went through during the season of Lent, that the forces of darkness, they are heavenly, they're angelic powers. I mean, they're far more powerful than you or I are on our own. And in fact, if God allowed them to, and praise God he doesn't, but if God allowed them to, they could pick up mountains and throw them at us. I mean, there is no one, certainly not you or me, no one other than God himself, who is a match for these beings. And friends, that's why Paul says the armor of God is what you have to put on. It's the armor of God. It's not just armor. It's not just willpower. It's not just fortitude. It's not stoicism. So let's understand as we continue to dive in this passage, that's the foundation for this entire passage. Obedience. Would you say that word with me? Obedience. Okay, so with that foundation, let's come back to our text and ask, okay, so how do we put on this whole armor of God? How do we live this out? Well, Paul lists one piece of spiritual armor after another. There's six pieces of armor in total listed in this passage. And, and understanding this, the Apostle Paul was very familiar with Roman soldiers. I mean, he would have seen them consistently in his travels, but added that, and this is a fascinating part of this letter. While Paul was dictating this letter, he was literally chained 24-7 to a Roman soldier. So while he was dictating these words, he just looked to his right or his left, and, and there was a soldier, perhaps inspiring him with these words. Right there, he knew what this meant. In fact, he refers to his chains, if you just look down in verse 20 of chapter 6. And, and, and so let's also, let's put this Ephesians 6 armor in kind of biblical context. Because we know this, we know in the Old Testament, it was God himself as a warrior fighting for his people who put on this armor. I mean, listen for example, this is in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 59, God arms himself for the defense of the cause of the truth. This is Isaiah 59, 17. 
the Lord put on righteousness as a breastplate. He put on a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So consider this. When we then come to Ephesians 6 and even today, friends, this armor and weaponry are what God has used. It's God's armor. And now, gracefully, he shares it with us. And then we ask the question, so what is the first piece of God's spiritual armor that Paul exhorts us to wear? Well, let's look at verse 14. It says this. Stand therefore, having fastened on, read it with me, the belt of truth. First thing, the belt of truth. Okay, now here's the thing. That English word belt there, really it doesn't communicate the the full meaning clearly of what Paul meant when he originally wrote in the Greek. But we use the English word belt just to try to help us understand what Paul was saying. But listen to this other, more literal translation in our English language. This is Ephesians 6.14 again in the Revised Standard Version. Stand firm, therefore, having, read it again, girded your loins with truth. Anyone use that phrase, girded your loins, this week at work? Or or anywhere, really. It's just not something we say very often. But but understand in this, it, it means something vividly in this. That word, belt, it misses something. Because understand, this isn't the only place in the Bible that talks about this kind of girding of loins. In fact, if you go through scripture, you'll find that the Bible says, gird your loins for action. Another place it says, gird up your loins because the bridegroom is on the way. It says, gird up your loins and run the race. In the book of Titus, it says, gird your loins with the truth that accords with godliness. First Peter 1, Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. And so we ask the question, why all this gird up your loins stuff in Scripture? What is trying to be communicated in this? Can I kind of contemporize it a bit? Because girding your loins, really, is actually, to some degree, what fitness instructors and athletic trainers today say to those they're training, even if they're pro athletes. They will say to them, if you want to be in great shape and have endurance, it all begins with your core. It all begins with girding up your loins. And understand, it was the same thing back with ancient soldiers. And and for them, the girding of your loins wasn't just to strengthen your core, but additionally, it referred to gathering up the robes and cloaks they worked to kind of tuck in together to make certain they were ready for serious action. So for ancient soldiers, the belt that they wore, it doesn't refer to something like this that we wear. We put on our belt last, typically. Their belt, this girdle, they put on first thing. And it was really a kind of a wide leather, apron-like covering that was tied around both to protect and strengthen them right in their abdomen. In fact, this is one scholar's description of that kind of girdle or belt. This part of the Roman arms was absolutely vital to the Roman soldier because on it, almost every other part of his armor depended for its security and usefulness. The leather casing kept his core firm, and from it hung his sword, his dagger, and all other hand weapons. So understand this. This belt or girdle, it was the foundation for all other armor for a soldier. 
So we bring that to us and say what Paul is saying to us is that the foundation for the use of all of the armor of God is this belt of truth. That's where it begins for us. So we rightly would say, okay, we have a physical picture of the belt. What is the truth Paul's talking about here with which we need to gird up our loins? Okay, so to answer that, we ask, well, what does Paul say about truth in this letter of Ephesians? And really we find, in, even in this Ephesian letter, Paul speaks of truth in two ways. First, okay, we ask what is truth that, that's supposed to be our belt. Look back at Ephesians 1 and verse 13. Paul starts by saying this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the what? Gospel of your salvation and believed in him. Okay, so for one, the truth, according to Paul, is the gospel. The, the good news of who Jesus is and the new life that's available to us through his life, death, and resurrection. Now, we know this. We know people will ask, but wait a second, but what is truth? I mean, just like Pilate asked, people in our own day ask, and as, okay, how can we know the truth? What is truth? Paul put it even more succinctly in chapter four, verse 21. He says this. In fact, read this with me. The truth is in Jesus. You want to know the truth? It all centered and begins with him. The truth is in Jesus. And, and that's why Jesus, what Jesus would boldly say, I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And consider how often Jesus talked like this about truth. In fact, going to the Gospel of John, listen to a couple of passages there. In John 17, John 17, Jesus said this. John, verse 17. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Go to John chapter 8. Jesus says this a, a bit earlier in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in what? My word. You are truly my disciples. And by my word, you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. So let's remember. Friends, the primary thing about the gospel, this message of scripture, is that it's true. That's what all this is based on. Let's be reminded of that. If this word isn't true, it's meaningless to us. That's what the Apostle Paul said. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, Paul said this. If Christ has not actually been raised, then our preach is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Jesus didn't actually die and rise again, it's time for us to leave this place. There's no purpose in this. Maybe friendship, but there's better things we can be doing. This is all just vanity if this word is not true. So just never give up on the sheer truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word. Because it is like this great girdle, this belt, which holds everything else together and in place. Okay, so in one sense, Paul is saying, Ephesians 6.14, the foundation of your life, it must be the gospel of Jesus, your new life in Jesus. Understand, that's your core, that's your starting point of standing firm in your life. I mean, if you don't begin with that, all this other armor doesn't really matter. Okay, so that's one way that Paul speaks of the truth in Ephesians. It is resting on the truth of the gospel, the word of God. Okay, but secondly, 
Paul also speaks of the truth in Ephesians as the way we then live in this relationship with Christ. The way we live. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way. Into him who's at the head, into Christ. So, additionally we realize, so to put on this belt of truth in Ephesians 6, it, it means, for one, I need to be strengthened by, I need to be standing upon God's truth in the gospel. And I need to be resolving to live in this truth, to really, to live truthfully according to God's word. That above, that's first what we stand in with this armor, believing the truth of the gospel and living according to the teaching of this gospel, this word. All right. So then, to gird up your loins with this belt of truth means I take this truth and then I apply it to even the most private parts of my life. I mean, it speaks of the girdle of our loins if we miss the point of this. That's what it is. So what Paul is saying here is, unless you take the truth of the word of God and put it into the most intimate, private parts of your soul, unless you apply this deep inside you, you can't put on the armor of God. The rest of the armor is just useless to you. I mean, it's not enough just to believe certain kind of doctrines from Scripture. It, it's not enough just to believe in the authority and truth of Scripture. You and I, we also need to get this word into our inner parts. Can I apply this really frankly here? I would imagine every one of us knows some individuals that maybe call themselves Christians whose lives is, are marked by rudeness, maybe even division. There are plenty of Christians walking around who gossip. Plenty of Christians who are consumed with greed. Plenty of Christians who are really two-faced, they're dishonest. I mean, there are plenty of Christians walking around with all these kind of blemishes in their character. And here's the thing, they're apparently content with it. And as a result, need to realize, they're being defeated. I mean, they're not being used as they could be. As a result, they're not seeing people's lives around them transformed as they could be. And to that, understand, there's only one answer, as Paul speaks of here. You have to let the word of God search you. I mean, the Bible says this is a two-edged sword, friend. It like pierces down to bone and marrow, spiritually speaking. It says it's a living word, it's alive. So I just ask you on this weekend, as we're talking about the belt of truth, are you letting the word of God come within you? I love what one pastor said about this. You're not supposed to be paging through and deciding what parts of the Bible you like and what parts you don't like. You're supposed to let the Bible page through you and let it decide which part it likes and what part it doesn't like in the way you're living. You're not supposed to be paging through it and saying, I like this chapter but not that chapter. You're supposed to let this page through your life and say, that chapter's good. This one needs to change. 
So I just ask it very practically. I mean, when was the last time you studied, you came to this word, sought to be fed in this word with that kind of openness? I mean, when was the last time you came to the word of God and essentially said that your heart was, okay, these are the orders of my master. Father, I want you to direct my life through this book. When was the last time you really let scripture correct you? I mean, are you willing to do that? Okay, so what does it mean to actually put on the belt of truth? First of all, it means to believe in the truth of the gospel and the word of God. But then secondly, it means to let God's word come to you and into you and to start applying it and living it personally. Friends, that's our belt. And again, are you willing to do that? Have you enlisted? Maybe just ask yourself, reflect on this week. Okay, how consistently am I coming to be fed by and study scripture? And then secondly, that question. Okay, and how thoroughly am I letting this scripture study me and form me? You know, the wonder of God's grace in this is that each one of us fails at times in this. We do. The wonder is, is that he still keeps pouring out grace to us. He still keeps pouring out his love to us. He knows your name. He hears you when you call. And how fittingly then, that as a tangible reminder of that reality of the love of God for us, having heard these words, we come to this table. And as we say regularly around here, when we come to this table and remember together the body of Christ broken for you, we are for one remembering in this. We're remembering what Christ did for us. When we hear the words that the blood of Christ was poured out for you and receive the cups, we additionally, we're not just remembering, we're receiving from God in this way. There's some way that we're fed spiritually in this meal. So we remember, we receive, but also God's word says this. When we trust in God in this, in faith come to this meal even, we proclaim in the heavenly places that Jesus is sufficient for us, amen? So let's come to this table, having heard God's word, and let's remember the wonders of his grace. Let's receive from him, be fed by him, and let's proclaim his goodness. Let me pray and then we'll come. And so Father, we with thanksgiving come to you. And I pray, Father, by your grace, we would hear your word today and through your spirit's empowering, our hearts would be open to how you're wanting to form us even this week. Father, give us strength even to respond in obedience to you, however you are directing us through this week. And we come now to this table with thanksgiving and pray in it you'd be honored as we come in faith and that we would be fed and strengthened in Christ. This we pray in the incredible name of Jesus. And again, all God's people say, amen.